Hello. Mr. Nevin. Chris. How's it going, buddy? Very good. Very good. I... <laughs> Did I tell no, my phone shut down. Let's try this again, shall we, without crashing phones? <laughs> right. You know, what's funny is I bought my kids. I don't want my kids to have a cell phone right now. They're too young. So we bought, yeah. we got a house phone, which is weird. Like, I haven't had a house phone in probably 10 years, maybe more. Like and landline. Landline. Like, like, a, like, a, like a phone. <laughs> and you hold this thing up to your ear and talk on it, and it's so comfortable. It is so comfortable to not hold a cube in your ear. And the weight of the receiver yeah. is what is sometimes really nice, too. I know they probably went lightweight, but I've held some that are kind of like a good old-fashioned banana-shaped style. Yeah. And the weight, the weight of the receiver is, feels so good. Do you remember the phone that was like Bakelite or plastic, and it was circular on both sides, and it felt like the one that you could slam down? And when you slammed it down, the bell inside the phone would actually ring. And you could just fucking slam this phone down and just have this moment of anger and passion. And there's no, you can't do that if you just hit the end button. It's like, de-dunk. And you, oh, it's just not nope. as good. That's exactly, that's the exact style of phone that kind of has the right weight, the right, like, durability to get mad at it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever, what is the movie with John Cusack where uh, High Fidelity, where he imagines himself beating somebody to death with one of those phones? You remember that? Did you see that one? I read the book. Um, I'm going to have to apologize early on here, Chris. My, my like library of references of movies and songs and uh, just pop, like cultural um, references is pretty is pretty weak. So I'm I'm That's okay. gonna I'm not a huge that. pop culture guy. It just made me think of it because in the movie he, he's standing in front of this guy who's basically screwing his girlfriend, and the okay. guy's just talking to him like, "Hey, what's going on?" And then and it shows like this thing that's going on inside this dude's head. He just takes up this this heavy phone. They, they must weigh like six pounds, and he just grabs because you could. What people don't know that are young that are listening to this is you could grab the phone with one hand and pick it up. There was like this little cup that you could stick your fingers in and you could grab the whole thing and you could pick it up. And he starts beating the hell out of this guy with this phone and the bell rings every time he hits this guy in the face. And it is just so good. And I'm like, it's now I'm having like this thought of like, man, was was the tangibility of things that we used to have better because you could be violent and and physical with things and everything's all dainty and and thin and lightweight and all this other stuff. No, I see what you mean. And I'll have to admit, I think being young in the eighties, I don't remember having one of those really good phones. Cause I think that might've been like the generation before me, but it's, I know what you're talking about. Cause I've seen them in thrift stores and I, and you see the, you see the references in probably movies where you get to like manhandle the phone. (laughs) But I'm thinking back to what we actually had when I first started calling and it was like up on the wall. And it was kind of one of those like trying to be high tech things in, in, in 1989. I don't know. (laughs) I remember just like pulling up the antenna and I could, I walked, my buddy lived like four houses down and I remember walking to his house while I was talking to him on the phone, thinking that was incredible, incredible that I was able to walk that far away from my house and arrive at his house with the phone in my hand. Little did I know 
that I would be able to do that anytime I wanted, and it was no big deal. Oh, man. Uh, anyway, Mr. Nevin, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I just arrived. I'm in this area of the high desert where I uh, went out to the pump house, and there was a big rattlesnake and uh, like a four-footer, and I have a thing. I, I, I the oh, let's just say snakes give me the willies, even nice ones like garden snakes. They just give me willies. So this this rattlesnake really. Uh, but I went into this little um, shack knowing that okay, rattle. This is rattlesnake season. It's a good day for a rattlesnake. I kind of went in there thinking one was in there, and there it was in the corner. Did it rattle at you? No, it was holding still. Like, it wasn't coiled. It wasn't, like, in a, I don't know too much, but, like, it wasn't, like, coiled too much, like, ready to strike or anything, but I could see the head. I uh, I did I did kill it. You have to. Because you have kids. I, have, I have kids, and, like, that thing will, is not always going to be, be in the pump house, you know? It's going to be. Yeah. So where pump, is this? Where are my, you in the high desert? Because that's well, a big place. Okay, it's just outside of Temecula, California. Okay. Um, it's kind of in an area with some BLM land, uh, Bureau of Land Management. Sure. Um, for those who don't know what BLM. So is BLM uh, land kind of that land where you can just go there and be there and do whatever you want? That's kind of yeah. my impression of BLM land is it's kind of uh, yeah, it's the Wild West. Up. Yeah, you pack your stuff out. You try not to leave a trace. I don't think they like motor vehicles on the land, but I, but you probably could get away with it if you stay on trails and try. Like I haven't really necessarily gone motor vehicle. Like I haven't really. Uh, and they have trail. Yeah, trails like fire road style trails right. through that you can take uh, motorcycles and off somewhat off roady vehicles down so which is great but i don't think they like you to pave your own new trails too much with vehicles but you can pretty much trudge go trudging it sounds like the boundary waters a little bit except the boundary yeah. waters is you're totally banned from anything with an engine you can't you can't oh, yeah. no boats with motors nothing it's canoe only yeah yeah no way no wakes and all that stuff right right so you grew up in wisconsin which is where i grew up did you know that no, I didn't. I know grew that. up near Kettle Moraine Forest. Mm, Kettle is am am I um, safe to say that the Kettle Moraine is like is a very glacier? Yes, like very geographically with the glaciers, um, like yeah, you have the kettles, which past, is where like the the buckets where the glaciers came through and dug out. Right, and you get la you get like lots of dips, and then you have the moraine, which is where all the rocks were left when the glaciers melted. Um, yeah, and okay. and pulled away. So that's like southeastern Wisconsin, and um, you know, dairy central. You grew up on a dairy farm, which I think is really cool. I didn't grow up on a farm, but my my grandparents did. So there was always this kind of, and I grew up with them. So there was, there was always this kind of bootstrap mentality where, you know, even though we had a house and a garage, it was full on. You know, we're not calling anyone. No one's going to help us fix this. We are going to fix this ourselves. We are going to build a roof. We are going to change this transmission. We are going to manufacture some sort of machine to do X. And it was always like, it seemed like kind of like this farm mentality. Is that kind of how it happened for you? Yeah, very much so. And where, where I grew up was kind of outside of Madison um, in an area 
like Sock Prairie, kind of close to Baraboo, kind of close okay. to like Devil's Lake yeah, yeah. Uh, area. Um, Beautiful area. And like, like probably very similar to where you grew up. Like, yeah, very fertile ground because of the glaciers or whatever the glaciers did. It was good for good farmland. But farm life kind of revolved around breaking and fixing things. Eternally. Yourself, like that was a day's work was getting the, the, the cows need to be milked twice a day, which like was the constant, right? Like that, like no days off with that needing to be done. But then what happens uh, to a cow if you don't milk the cow? Oh, good question. I think, (laughs) sorry, random. It it dries up. (laughs) Okay. I just, I didn't know. Like they, I suppose they just quit producing milk if you don't do it. Cause there's, yeah, yeah. Well, good. I guess good question. I guess it. I guess it was one of those things where kind of like a diesel that you don't want to run out of. Yeah, gets <laughs> air in the line. Right, right. Bleed, bleed the lines. Kind of. It must be kind of very similar to running a diesel. Yeah, I suppose that's Mercedes. probably true. I have, by the way, done that with a diesel, and it was a rabbit diesel, and I ran it out of fuel, and I walked the only thing I could walk to. There was no gas station, but there was a parts store, and I ended up going in and buying this can of diesel clean and i took the fuel filter off and i filled it up with this diesel clean it was like a one gallon thing of it screw the fuel filter back in and then poured just diesel clean in the tank and ran it like that to a fuel station it smelled awful mm. ran bad but, it, but that's <laughs> the beauty of the diesel is it kind of can run on diff- on any combustible combustible anything and non-combustible bit, right? things too you know if you think Wait, about it <laughs> With oil, like cheeseburger oil and whatever the case may be, it's amazing. It's amazing. My first car was a diesel rabbit myself. Yeah, and I was, me too. Uh, early days, I couldn't. I didn't have a license, so it was like I was like fourteen. How'd you end up with a rabbit diesel? It's not just. Well, it's not common. You know, that's not like something that when you think of a sixteen-year-old kid getting his first car, fourteen-year-old kid getting his first car, they don't often answer rabbit diesel. Right. Well, let's see. I think it was just. A friend um, from church that want, needed to get basically was selling it because the wife refused to to ride in it. So the husband <laughs> was like, "This because because the wife refused, like just outright refuses to get in the car and ride in it. It kind of turned into like more of a unnecessary, like it wasn't as useful as it could be right. for his for his daily." life i guess so he was gonna and they they probably didn't have craigslist back then this was pre-craigslist so he was probably gonna put an ad in the paper yep and uh i got wind of it and uh i think it was 500 bucks but you know as a 14 year old i'd maybe done enough weeding chores (laughs) to to, or like (laughs) milk and you know milk and cows yeah twelve like six dollars an hour um that i'd had that it seemed like the perfect price for an entry level and i was dying to get my uh driver's license which was in a couple years and i was like well i'll just get this so i can get it ready for my 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 first car right or you know like it was and there was a few necessary chores of we had some, some pastures with some cows that um, were kind of like a, about two miles away from us. So I, 
I always needed to get to the pasture to turn on the water to fill up the tank or just feed the feed the cattle feed the cows that were on the on the land there so this was the perfect car to kind of um rattle around (laughs) to drive to drive short distances in the countryside you know and not really worry about the fact that i didn't have a driver's license so i was lucky enough to uh and of course when you're on the farm you're kind of learning to drive and you you learn farm safety and tractor safety so you're like the car is like a wimpy version of like uh every other killer machine that's on the farm <laughs> machine that's going to potentially kill you right right so so it didn't seem to actually when i was i think the my earliest driving experience that was actually kind of like um more more of a big deal in my own head was my grandpa who was like 90 years old um wanted to go to the bank during the summer so i was at home and he, he needed driven to the bank because he what he could still drive but he go into town go going to town to the bank was a little bit because he was deaf from being a farmer and all the farm implements pretty much being too loud so he was deaf so i was 12 years old and i drove him to the bank which was 50, like 20 minutes maybe 15 miles into town so that was like and then that was like the highlight of my whole summer was driving grandpa to the bank and then just totally getting chewed out by my parents <laughs> <laughs> worth it though worth it totally worth it so you're on a dairy farm you're driving around a two rabbit diesel and you know i see like you know we talked a little bit about your history and what you ended up doing and and we'll get to all that but how does nevin working on a dairy farm driving an 82 rabbit diesel end up working at Deus Ex Machina and going to Australia and riding around on a motorcycle? Like how, how do you, where does that aspiration come from? Because that's a lot of people will, they'll be like, Oh, I want to go to college or I'll stay in this town or whatever they aim at is usually fairly simple. They pick an aim and then they, they do the thing that they think that they're going to do. This just seems like, so out of the norm for what a normal dairy farm kid in Wisconsin in the Midwest would do. Like, how do you, what were your aspirations at this time? Okay. So I'll kind of try to tell the cliff, like the, the short version to get from Wisconsin on the farm to Australia. And here's what happens. So I graduated. You don't have the cliff from- notes. I mean, we got, we got, you know, this podcast, okay. you do it however you want. So by the time I graduated, from high school, I was ready to go to to leave Wisconsin. Why? Just because. What, what, what was the reason? I, I I think the reason was because I was I was done with being really cold in the winter times. <laughs> not to say that I did. Not, not to say that I didn't actually in, enjoy it, but I was just kind of done with it, and I kind of thought, ah. When I graduate, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna go to college at a place that isn't so cold. So, okay, and picture me when I was like looking for colleges, and the year I was looking for colleges, um, um, Playboy had rated Arizona State University as the best party school. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is such a dumb reason to apply to Arizona State, but combined with the fact that my 
dad grew up in Arizona and had gone to Arizona State. There was kind of like this little connection there of my dad going to Arizona State, but that it, that had less to do with why I applied to Arizona State than probably the article in the Playboy magazine, which maybe I saw on the cover in a in a like a gas station, right? You know how they. they <laughs> it's crazy how impressionable because we I think we forget how impressionable we are as young people. Because yeah, we have got, such little life experience to to draw from to make decisions that we're just inundated with these things and we just don't know what's going on. And so we just see something like that and, well, well it must be true. Yeah. And I don't even think I read the article at all. It was just like, <laughs> oh, now that, okay, that, that, sounds, that sounds like a place where I could maybe, you know, learn a few, learn things. some college things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it probably thinking I was think, thinking I was gonna like become this part, like thinking that I had this, like, oh, I'm gonna really become, I'm gonna party so hard. I, with, I remember uh, at the with, same time, I think we were probably around the same age if we grew, both grew up in the 80s. Is we went to, I was like 17, 18 years old, and we went to Ocean City, or no, it was Panama City, Panama City Beach, Florida. And I remember just being like, man, this is going to be awesome. We're going to go down there and party. We bought like a box of condoms and like a bunch of beer. We thought we were going to be awesome. I shaved my chest so I could walk around <laughs> on the beach like a like a man. And I remember walking into this club and there was these two chicks that were dancing and they were super hot. And I went up and tried to dance with them and they went, and they went, ugh, <laughs> and turned away. <laughs> and it was like this reality check of like, never mind. <laughs> it was like, uh, I guess, uh, yeah. Yep, the life of a young man. They make that plausible in movies because, of course, it's a it's a it's a movie. They you can write a movie about anything. Anything can happen. Yeah, just not to me. (laughs) But yeah, like yeah, it's for sure ain't happening to me. Anyway, okay, so well, okay, we'll just put in the detail too that I got accepted into Arizona State and I also got accepted into the U of M, Minnesota. Those two places are like the two options. And I think it was because that, and I tried, and I tried really hard to maybe like get some scholarship stuff. So anyhow, I think there was like some sort of, it's not like I'm smart, but you write the right essay stuff to the schools and try and try to like do a lot of the work to like, see if you can get anything. And I think Arizona had something that would make tuition like reasonable and here's and and so it not that not that like so an interesting fact too is that my parents had bought like a rental place in arizona because they were thinking about moving to arizona to be closer to my grandparents who were in arizona getting old right so in a way because my my parents were kind of Toying with this idea of moving to Arizona and kind of um, and paying some property taxes, I basically was able to get in-state tuition in Arizona, which made it make sense too. From a like a you know like in-state tuition. So what what are you was, going to school was, for? Like what is the like? Do you, do you even know? Do you aspire to anything, or is oh, it just okay. like I need to go okay. there and? Well, okay, I think. I enjoyed photography and art class in school. And I kind of was thinking, 
that I was going to become a t-shirt designer and have a t-shirt company. This is, this is my head in high school. Cause I, sure. and I was, and I, so Arizona state actually had a, a good reputable printmaking program in the fine arts college. So I, my, I went to Arizona with printmaking and we're talking like the Gutenberg, we're talking like ancient technology here sure, sure. <laughs> as a, as a, as a like a major and so because i kind of like the idea of gra- art but i also what was i thinking i thought i was going to be an artist type but try to figure out how to make money from it i wish i would and, uh, i wish i would i did the same thing and i wish i would have known that i should have done that i mean I, obviously every path you take leads you to where you are so i wouldn't change yeah. anything but it, for me going to art school was was a mistake yeah, so I went, to, so I went, and I, and so I went through the first like preliminary freshman art classes, and then one of my freshman classes was actually more of a design class, like from a, a design teacher or a professor, and I was like, and it and it was a little bit more applicable to um, what I that, so after I kind of went through these art classes and realized that oh man. Yeah, life is going to get hard if I really, <laughs> if I really <laughs> do this. So I actually changed my major after my first year to communication design or no, what was it? Visual communication design, which is like the fancy way of saying graphic design. Right. And at Arizona State, it was actually like a science to go oh, like a, like a, like a bachelor of science degree and not a art not a fine art. Yeah, it's degree. everybody. It's you you got to look at it from the framework of what that would have been then versus now. Now, being a graphic designer is just everywhere, right? I mean, it's just yeah, all over the place. So, which it wasn't yeah. the case back then. It was it was more niche, right? So that that visual communication design, graphic design, was actually kind of in the college with the like with the architecture, like the the architecture program and the product design, like industrial design. And those programs at Arizona State, now granted, Arizona State will let anybody in. Like, they probably have 100,000 students, or maybe 80, or 50, maybe 80 they had back then. So it was like the largest population school. But those particular programs in the fine, in the College of Design were, were kind of like ruthless as far as like, getting into the upper division of it so like the first two years then in the graphic design program you have to there's like 250 kids that want to be a graphic designer and then upper division for the for the last two years are like you they cut it down to like 40 kids in class sure so you either make the cut you you like like after two years you submit your portfolio you get lucky if you get in to- sounds like joining a gang if you don't murder the guy you're never going to make it up to the upper ranks you're always going to be on the street right and and then you know what here's the <laughs> here's the ironic part though is that if you didn't get into the upper division of graphic design then most of the people actually went into like um design management which was like kind of like a shoe in if you didn't get in up there but 
on retrospect, those are the people that are actually control are actually probably in typical like form. They're the ones making more money these days than graphic designers. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the guys that didn't make it end up doing being the managers of the guys who did. Right, right. Anyhow, anyhow, so I did. I went through that, and it was like a it was a brutal, like really great. Uh, my my professors. You just said it's brutal and really great. I yeah. Mean, so like, you know, what and what I mean by brutal is kind of like like the time it takes to like learn the fundamentals of it. It was very Bauhausy, like very like hands on, like cut like you cut your teeth by cutting and pasting and learning the ropes of graph design the like the really really hard way and then and then you realize and then they kind of start to let you become creative by like the last semester like okay now now that you <laughs> now that you know how to think um now do a project and it was which is kind of which i would have to say I still, when I look back to my brain at that point, I had then been trained into kind of a too tight of hole that I couldn't actually figure out how to be so, really. So you think they hamstrung you a little bit? No, not necessarily. But like by the time you were meant to be really come up with really great, clever ideas and apply what you just learned, you're almost like, oh, I haven't. Well, how I felt was, well, I haven't lived enough. I don't have enough experience to know what, the, like, that really great, weird thing that would be a clever design or a good design is yet, right. you know? Right. Well, so how did you, how did you like, get there? How, okay, what, so was there a moment that you, you decided that you... We're going to, was it, were you in a box? Did they put you in a box and you didn't know, were you like second guessing yourself trying to get out of that box to do other things or what happened that made you able to realize that you could mature beyond the original foundation foundational learning that you'd received at the college? I think it was, this is a good question, Chris. Hmm. I think it was actually, um, and this is maybe my own approach to um like knowing how to get a good grade (laughs) (laughs) which is one part of education right is you kind of like learn how to hack the system to know what it is that is expected of you well that's life too i mean that's corporate world that's life you gotta know how to do that but then to try to sneak in your own (laughs) sneak in your own ideas no i think it was like um when oh how do i answer this i think maybe there was one project that was ended up being really fun because it was it was basically like make your portfolio that you're gonna take to your to go get a job right and everybody was kind of putting their art all their work together into kind of these um boxes clever boxes and what i did was i went to a thrift store and basically bought this record player that was kind of rectangular and maybe like three inches thick and it had a little turntable on the top 
And what I did was I cut a hole, like I cut a drawer into the side and, and, and made this record player. The internals basically hold all my work. So basically what I was doing when I would bring my work to show my work was just bringing this record player. Not that I have any affinity to like DJing or music. It was just like, I enjoyed making that thing. And it was, ended up being kind of like a rule breaking sort of solution to what I was then going to present. How did that, did did that stick with you? Are you, is, is that part of you still there or have you evolved beyond how you originally thought of design? How much of that you is left in the you that works today? Oh, I think, I think to be, I I think it has everything to do now because it's more of like, in a way, that building of something. And maybe it was something that meant something else, like the like the record player being kind of a, a an object that I could repurpose and to make function as something else. I think now my approach to like all the design work that was inside it is now totally irrelevant, <laughs> even today and all that stuff. But it's more about the it's now more like every project only has to do with the record player and nothing to do with what I learned to put in inside it. Right. Right. Is how I would kind of now reflect back now in retrospect, thinking back to that, because it kind of changed my approach to almost kind of mixing a little bit more product design and kind of like a holistic idea as opposed to, yeah, I know how to be it to use illustrator and to make an illustration, which is kind of, not as exciting like not as exciting well you can spend time like you can anybody could spend minutes and learn how to function software right and i think it's gotten easier and easier to do that and i think they've obviously the software companies have made it easier and easier to buy the stuff and get a subscription to the creative cloud and use the use this software and now they have mobile versions of everything but the the process that gets you to you know, putting the drawer in the record player can't necessarily be purchased. Obviously, you purchased your tuition, but the experiences and the choices that you made don't exist within the software. Yeah, right, right. So, so in a way, go ahead. In a way, what I look back, when I look back truly about the whole experience, and I know we kind of deviate, we went a little too deep in it, but when I think about college and the whole education, it was kind of like, what I really took out of it, was it anything related to design at all? Maybe not. It was more like meeting really rad professors and doing homework by the pool, you know, mm-hmm. and and enjoying the experience. And to, to circle back to the Playboy reference of that it was a party school. No, I didn't. I really didn't party that much. Like in, in retrospect, I was like, no, I ended up having a few friends that tried to convince me to join a fraternity and I would kind of start to like pretend that I was interested and just get invited to some of their parties, which were just more of like a glimpse inside of like, okay, okay, this is what it's like if I did this. Ooh, uh, no, I can't. It doesn't like knowing you now, it just does, that doesn't seem like you to me. 
couldn't I couldn't do I couldn't really do that I, I mean I see the I, I saw how like the benefits of the the boys club works and I was like no I'd rather like I would rather cut my teeth a different way uh, you know it's almost like giving like almost like a programmed way to uh have preferential like like doors open for you i don't like the which, model either which, which, ah, it's not nepo- I, I don't like nepotism in any form whether it's corporate or political or educational i don't like any of it it's all it's all bad it's all bad so you moved to australia yeah. how did you get so how do you you graduate you got your design degree and you and you end up in australia that another that seems like another so the first leap that's strange is um being a, a dairy farmer going to arizona state and learning design that's that's already interesting so how did you go from that and then into australia so so really um there there was no profound real reason other than this realization that okay this time in my life after graduation and before i try to get my first job i have this window of like ultimate freedom of and by freedom i mean like okay maybe i can take some time this might be the only time in my life that i'll have this but i have this by choice nothing's started yet right so i can maybe take some time to go to a new place that i know nothing about and i think I wanted to do a travel scenario somewhere or a duration of period that would be more than just like your typical American vacation. Right. Right. Like maybe, maybe close to a year. I was thinking kind of like a year would be good. That would be ama- like, I hear about Canadians and even all the year, like Canadian friends and European, they're all taking big, long long ass vacations i i want to do that so it was like the perfect like okay i just want to leave i just want to leave i don't want responsibility yet there's going to be a lot of work to do later in life and responsibilities probably is what i was thinking so literally i i got an email in from before you go too far were you right Yeah, I was a li- I was kind of right. Do you think that's I by would. choice or by, I mean, you know, we all look at our lives now as they get increasingly more complicated. And I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing like I did when I was young. You know what I mean? Like when you're right. young, you go, oh, man, I'm going to be saddled with all this burdens later in my life. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have all this stuff. And now I look at them like I, I was right, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I think I was kind of right. I was kind of right, but now that I'm now that I've kind of been through a little bit more life and career-wise, which I am now untraining myself. So I kind of was like early on I was like, okay, life is going to be hard and I'm going to be on the grindstone. And then so I did this thing and then I <laughs> and then I got on the hamster wheel and I got on the grindstone and now I'm and now I'm kind of untraining my myself that that was that that was that is the way life should be right so i'm 
So in a way, in a way, my initial thought was, okay, I'm going to get a job and then I'm work. I'm going to work really hard at a nine to five until I retire. Maybe that was what I was thinking was going to happen. And I didn't like the sound of that, but I thought, well, I don't want to risk missing <laughs> this window of opportunity to go real, to go a wall. Right. Yeah. It's interesting no, that we feel no, like what does, we're, we don't have a choice right now. And you say that you're reprogramming yourself, you know, for the, you know, you have that initial programming when you're young that of how you think things are going to go based on the, the societal construct that's been created in your mind for what you think is going to happen and what you think society expects you to do and, and, and where you're supposed to go and how things are supposed to work. And then you get to be like 40 or whatever. And you're like, wait a second, that's, I don't have to do that if I don't want to, I can change this. I can reprogram. I can do something else. And I, I wish more people would. I think everybody realizes that, but they don't necessarily, they don't either have, maybe they don't have the opportunity to do the situation that they're in. A lot of people don't have the option and which is sad, but the people that do have the option still don't seize the opportunity because they're afraid. How have you conquered the fear of reprogramming yourself? Mm. Or, or did you have no fear where you just like, I'm just going to do this. Well, back then the, I, I think I'm more scared now because of the relationships and how, where I play a part in a, in relationships where before there, there was kind of, a, there wasn't a huge point of resistance because I didn't really need to, I wasn't obligated to like be tied down to, um, any one place and like maintain like, like I didn't have as many people to let down back then. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which And, and kind of knowing, okay, like the ultimate people that have ultimate freedom of going wherever they want might also on the other hand, either bring the people that they care about with them. And like, there's a cost to that or they don't have the or, people or, or leave, them behind and, and kind of like you might have the ultimate freedom as a person if you have nobody around, like that's depending on you well right? there's if there's that means you're not sacrificing anything if you're operating in right. that way which means it really reduces the value of anything that you're doing right yeah this is so yeah that's so true and I, yeah. I look at my kids and I go, man, I really don't. One of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing with the podcast, the rally, everything else, I could probably go sell Xerox machines. Well, probably not anymore. I could probably go sell metal, medical equipment or something and make more money. But I still like I, I'm trying to be responsible for my family, but also show them that they don't have to necessarily follow that hardcore path. You know, that sacrifice yeah. does involve reward and there isn't any reward without it, which is a cliche but it's so often forgotten. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Because in a way, if you think only about the, sh like the, the, you, you don't think about the missed opportunities because the, because you have something now when you have a family that like makes it, I don't know. I'm trying, I'm trying. No, no, I'm you're trying just, to, it's different sacrifices yeah. for different things. You're sacrificing this part of yourself to enrich this part of yourself. And I'm just right. saying that if you're not sacrificing part of yourself for something 
um, for someone else or even for yourself. There's, I mean, if you think about it, us taking care of our family is very rewarding, right? It's not only for their benefit. It's partially right. for their benefit. It might be uh, for the majority of it is for their benefit, but it also is very good for yourself and your own and your own uh, personal psyche or how you feel, right? It's, it's good for yeah. that too. And, but you're to be able to do that. You're also sacrificing this other part of yourself that like, I would love to just be traveling around all over the place all the time. I would love that. You know, I love traveling. I love exploring things. It's obvious, but I'm, so I'm, you know, I'm sacrificing the part of myself that would love to be doing that all the time, be a vagrant and just drive around in a car to take care of my family. Cause it's also enriching for myself. It's just, it's just choice. You know, it's just choice. Yeah. And I think when you're younger and you don't have that yet, I think it's important to say to yourself, hey, this is going to be an investment to myself because it's going to be beneficial somehow because it's going to prepare me so that later I can actually, uh, when you do have higher stakes in life and maybe like a lot of more responsibilities that you've done that like experience experiential work mm -hmm. to have different perspectives when you're younger to like set you up to know what you're not also like kn know what's out there, but also know what you don't have to. Well, yeah, you're, you're creating, a, you're creating a breadth for yourself to understand the world around you. Right. You're, you're yeah. you know, it's, it's and, your parameters for which to make decisions. Right. And if you already have that under your belt, you're not then dying to get away. <laughs> so mean, tell me about us putting Australia away. under your belt. Okay. So to end up in Australia, here's how it happened. I got an email that said, there's a flight to, there's a flight to Brisbane for 400 and something bucks. And I, and I looked at the, I looked at that email and I said, all right, literally, literally five seconds. It was like, okay, that, that should be, that's the place. That seems like a good deal to go that far. Like, and, and I bought the ticket, I bought the ticket with absolutely no, like, not too much thought really. It was just like, okay, I've been kind of brewing on leaving america for somewhere this makes sense but here it is I'm, i bought the tickets so then um and then i didn't have too much money under my belt so it was kind of like okay i'll need to apply for a work visa because i'm gonna run out of money when i'm there i'm sure of it right so you're gonna have to have find like something a, to do like th three grand in my bank account and i was like yeah if i want to i'm gonna be there a year i'm gonna run out of money i'm gonna have to work let's like let's try to do it as legit as possible and just pick up a job when i'm over there so that visa was a year and going and uh i hope i'm answering your question no it's great i'm i just I, is it the train of thought of what how you did this is you know it, it references the discussion we just had so i, I enjoy it yeah so so lean, lean into that so basically i was like okay i'm gonna get there now I start planning. I had a few months to plan. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I want to go there and I want to travel. I want a mode of transportation where I can kind of be self-sufficient. It can be efficient. It can be efficient cost wise. 
and I'm talking about miles per gallon, right? Like pure, purely miles per gallon. <laughs> I was like, what gets good mileage and motors and motorcycle was like the, the ticket purely out of like necessity of being able to travel the farthest distance independently for the most economic, um, economic way so i was like it's the obvious choice for sure kind of the obvious choice and i grew up on a farm so here's what i knew under here's what i knew from being on a farm i knew how to ride a mini bike a pull start mini bike that was my that was (laughs) that was my two that those were my two wheels on the farm getting around the farm not exactly the same thing (laughs) and so i didn't actually know how to ride a motorcycle yet i kind of like i knew the concept of shifting and it was going to get and i knew it was going to be weird not knowing but when you know the concept of a clutch and you've been driven you've been driving manual you just kind of know that okay you you know you you do some research about yeah it kind of comes together and it's awkward but it can't be that hard to figure it out when you kind of know the mechanics of clutch and throttle and all that stuff. So, um, so when I got to Brisbane, I looked in the paper, there was like a $900 Kawasaki. Um, and it was the cheapest one in the paper that said it was running. And so I went and bought it because it was running and it was the right price. Well, it was a third of your money still, you know? Yeah, when I saw it, it was like, oh, this actually looks functional. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy said that he had made it run. So I was like, that's good. That's good enough. And and he and he kickstarted it and it ran. And and he drove it up the driveway and back because I didn't know how to do it. And so I, um, I had a I had I had a buddy over there that I stayed with for like two weeks as kind of a ground base when I first got there to get my like pack together, you know, before I hit the road. So, um, basically got, got this bike and, uh, and, and they drive on the other side of the road. So I was kind (laughs) of learning how to ride this motorcycle on the left-hand side of the road on a, on like a cul-de-sac dead end street just kind of going back and forth and and basically i kind of then went to town outfitting my my road trip gear which was basically a homemade camp stove and by homemade there's a thing called a penny stove which is basically you make a stove out of two pop cans and you use like methylated spirits or uh yeah basically like What's a methylated spirit? Sounds religious. Yeah, it does. No, it's like white. What is what is it in America? Like white, like camp fuel. Where I don't know, like kerosene of some sort, or is is that that gel? It's very very similar to kerosene. Okay, just like a clear alcohol. Got it. Okay. And for I think I think there's other camp stoves that use it as fuel, but basically this little thing is like the size of a like the base of a pop can 
and you use a penny and it was like, okay, that's my stove. And I had a little tiny pot from a thrift store and I had these like really colorful, like atrociously, um, like bad, you know, you know, like European travel bags, like Pan, Pan America, like, you know, you know, like those travel bags that are like, like a saddlebag type of thing. They kind of look like a saddlebag yeah. that you throw over your shoulder. Yep. Kind of a thing of the 50s and 60s. So I found a couple of these in a thrift store over there that matched. And I basically made a pair of saddlebags out of these uh, really dumb looking um, like luggage. <laughs> so are you aware that you're basically really scraping by at this time, making a stove, making a saddlebag? Or is it just what you wanted to do? Well, it was... Because there's a difference between needing to and wanting to and, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, did you have to do this or did you want to do it that way? I think I wanted to do it with however I could figure out how to do it. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know if that actually... Because, like, it's like really scraping by if you're making stoves out of pop cans. You know, that's, that's low tech. You know, you could go to the store and buy a stove for not that much money, but you decided to make one. And I'm just wondering why. Good question. I think think because of what, like, and I look, I I might've even looked on the market for what's available, but then, okay, you get a, you get a really nice working camp stove. But then you need to buy the fuel canister. And then I was like, okay, then you have to haul the fuel canisters. And then it's only as good as that fuel canister maybe is when it, as long as, as long as you can buy those and hold them and pack them. And this other way looked like it worked because there was, there was YouTube videos on them working. (laughs) <laughs> and, and literally i was like hey if it if it works and i can make it I'm, i might as well try to do it that way i think that's maybe my first mode of solution is if i can make it and if there is a way to make it and it works properly of what i'm trying to accomplish that's kind of a that'd be a that's the way to do it did that come from like a point of personal pride or did that come from um, frugalness or a bit of both or how, why, why? I think it comes from a little bit. I think it started out of frugalness, but then turned into kind of a, a satisfaction of like independence. Hmm. Let me think. No, like, I, I almost, get it. I, I get almost, it. I mean, you, almost, we... almost like a self-sufficiency sort of like I'm not depending on commerce to as much as 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 little as possible. I'm depending on like consumerism or right. Ad, right. or or like you know you know because sometimes part of like outdoor gear and camping is kind of like the consumerism, like gear, like there's really cool gear available. Oh, it's crazy. And I, and I get jazzed and I get jazzed on really cool functional things, 
but I almost get more jazzed when there's a really simple solution out of everyday supplies that can kind of get the job done kind of the same way. Maybe not as good, probably not, probably not as good, but like if something breaks, you kind of, you built it yourself. So it's like, that is that is a, big part of it and when i see like i'm watching this this explosion of the vans and the and the off-roading and the overlanding and everything like that and i've seen i see these guys as trucks and nothing against like the aftermarket world for trucks but it is insane the amount of stuff people buy and slap and bolt onto their trucks that they do not need do not use will never use and, and i feel like i look at my trooper and people are always constantly asking me, like, hey, where's your where's your rooftop tent? Where's your, you know, where's your push bar? Where's your winch? Where's this? Where's that? Where's all these things? Why don't you have a ladder on the back? How are you going to get on the roof? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't need to go up there because I'm going to camp on the ground. I'm going to just, the tent that I've had for 10 years, I will just use that and, and sleep on the dirt like I did when I was a kid. And people just, like, I think they just really get into the the, the buying of stuff. And if I, have a, if I get a roof rack, I'm just going to make one out of, like, pipe and bend it and, and make something because that's how people used to make them back in the day for whatever car it just seems a little yeah. out of control yeah i mean it's cool to okay i'll be i'll be the first to admit it's kind of cool to see a, a, a popped up tent for sure in the air on top of a vehicle but i'm the same way it's like wait a second what's wrong with the ground now when i was in australia okay you know how besides rattlesnakes besides, besides okay so going to australia i had heard everybody was warning me about all the things that are going to kill me when i'm there okay so i wasn't like so here's my salute like when i would camp i would go to like a park and and put my swag down on top of a picnic table just to get off because i was thinking okay a snake isn't maybe going to crawl into my my swag if I'm up on a picnic table. So my my like the first half of my trip, I was just trying to like getting off the ground. Yep. Just for the sake of what I was told, and I was still, yeah, ignorant to like maybe the real realities of like the the deadly animals. But like at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah. I, I know that they're, they're around, but the, the, do they really want to, do they really want to bite me? No, no, no they don't. No, they don't. You just have to get, you have to be kind of like aware that they exist. Generally, they want you to stay the hell away. They don't want to be anywhere near you. Right. Right. So why are you, so you, you know, I see in the, in the notes that you sent me that you, Travel the full circumference of Australia for a year, working along the way. And that's where you met a custom motorcycle company called Deus Ex Machina. And when I see the name Deus Ex Machina, I think of horrible plots, right? <laughs> in, in, in movies, when, you, oh, when yeah. there's a Deus Ex Machina, um, that means basically um, a god in the machine, right? So it's basically right. a, a, a plot function where something happens in a movie where you're like wait what like an impossible solution was fixed by by god right so so it doesn't always it fixes the problem in the movie but it kind of ruins the movie so how does that name you know like almost like a like a cheap way to get out of like shit hits the fans so hard yeah you wrote yourself into a corner so you need something like this to make the story come to an end you 
need God. Yes, um, God needs to come in and fix it. Um, no, as far as like, as far as where that, I won't go into the history of how that name and ended up with the motorcycle. I think it's a, I think it is clever with the the literary. Mm-hmm. But so, but let me just preface when I when I went there and was on this motorcycle trip, I had the dorkiest. It was like a Z two hundred. It was a two hundred cc bike that was just kind of like what it was and it was very factory and then on my trip in like i think in perth on the west side i saw a custom bike that looked very like like it looked cool and this is me and i didn't have a huge history on even cafe racers from england from the 50s i didn't really know about that whole scene but when i saw this um custom is probably a kawasaki um and it said deus on the tank and i i didn't really know what to think yet when i saw this bike other than oh man that's that looks cooler aesthetically than what i am traveling around on oh that's pretty cool do you know what made it cool like because cool is such like a you know it's a subjective mm. term but when you when most motorcycle car guys whatever even a lay person looks at something they can tell that it's cool you know like it's well you know what i think it and it might have to do with a particular preference for how vehicles just sit and what i mean is like the vw rabbit mark one golf like that's a good example of I don't know why I like how it, I don't know what it is exactly. Like I'm not smart enough from my design. Like my, my design education doesn't necessarily tell me why I was gravitated. I gravitate to the, like the, like the rabbit and the stance with the bright wheels with the fender flares and the lines. But in a way, what made me like the rabbit so much is kind of, the similar there's a parallel to when i saw that motorcycle that was like simplified without all the with without like the floofiness of um i don't know stripped down like simplified but like even the the suspension was adjusted in a way that kind of made the wheels and the tires and the maybe maybe they had 19 inch maybe it was like a 19 inch rear wheel when typically they're like 17 inch in the back but when you look at it you're not really sure what it is about it but you're like oh that looks that looks right i think it's kind of like this nature versus nurture thing that you get with people like how they are you know, how like a person is has something to do with how they were raised as well as the genetic code that they have. And I think that's, you know, when you saw the bike, you were probably there was part of you that, you know, was struck subconsciously by everything that had happened to you. But also just human beings know what looks cool. Yeah. And maybe in my in my own mind, I'm like, ooh, oh, that looks cool i don't know if it functions i don't know engineering why like i don't have the engineering background to say "Ooh, that would work really well 
but I kind of knew, oh, that looks like it's like it's pure, the pure of T of function in my lack of real knowledge of, <laughs> of engineering was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And most of, of us course, don't care about the function. We just want it to look good. <laughs> kind of what we kind of want it to look good. But at the same time, when I picked my when when I picked my motorcycle of what I was gonna like use, I was I was so illiterate to like the spectrum of different okay. Yeah, I had seen motorcycles before. So in a way, when I went over there, I thought maybe I was gonna find like a Honda interceptor, like a 250 interceptor that kind of looked like a bullet bike or like a crotch rocket. In my mind, I was like ready to buy something like that. Right. Cause in, cause in my mind, that was what a functional motorcycle was without doing any research. I was just like, yeah, I don't need it to be fast. I don't need it to be a Kawasaki Ninja. That's gonna, that's, that's gonna, that's, you're just that gonna, thing you're is just built for speed, anyway. <laughs> but, but if I, but if I get something that's like maybe around 200 cc's, I won't be going so slow that I'll be a danger to myself. So you were I mean, like a pure Eve enthusiast when you saw this bike with that said Deus on it. You're kind of not purity as in you know what you like and this is it and it's OEM only. But it was a it was a purity of you didn't necessarily have an opinion. It was kind of this blank canvas and at that point i didn't know that there was like this brand ethos either or like you you know so then i saw my second deus bike um that that i started to connect some dots then in it was either adelaide or melbourne probably i think melbourne um which is on the south like on the south side of australia and so and and I and I have a photo of it because I took a photo of it. I I I shot um I had this little XA Olympus XA and I only shot film when I was in Australia. I didn't have a digital camera on me and I basically just shot film. Um and I I have a photo of it just because it was like, oh, Oh, this I'm see. I saw here's another one. I need to back when I get to internet, I need to do some research on what this company I've never heard of. Maybe you know, right? At that point, I just thought it was just a manufacturer, right? Or not, not like a custom company that's taken another bike and customizing it. So, anyhow, I'm but then here to to kind of bring this home, I make it back to Sydney, um, which is almost full circumference to where I needed to get back. And I was walking down a a street in Sydney, um, just kind of maybe burning some time and kind of, um, and I walked, and I basically walked into a Deus store. It was like a mini, like a storefront where they had like one bike on display. It was probably, it was a Speedway motorcycle in the window. And then it was a small store that had clothes. And I walked in there because I was drawn in by the Speedway bike. And the people that were working there, uh, uh, so, like, saw my whole, like, travel get up and, and were like, oh, you're on a, 
you're on a motorcycle because I was probably holding my helmet. And so we just started like small talking and there and they said, hey, tomorrow we have this event at our bigger location over across town. And it's like a surf swap meet. You should come hang out. Um, it starts at 10 a.m. Just so coming coming out. We have more more, more motorcycles over there. And good question. If you never now looking back at that moment, standing in that store, your helmet in your hand, this guy telling you to go to this event tomorrow. What, would you tell yourself anything or because that seems like that was a pretty pivotal moment, knowing the track that you went on from there? Mm. What would I what would I tell myself? Yeah, what would you tell yourself? Would you be like, yeah, yeah this is going to be this is the best time. This is the moment. This is it. This is the time. Mm. I guess I think I'm just recognizing I, that it's just that yeah. that moment is is really important to where you ended up in life true and in a way the the serendipity i don't know if that's the right word but walking down that street and literally randomly seeing this storefront is um it is a special moment i like i think back to that connection because i'm sure i would uh, down the road, I'm sure eventually I would have discovered the brand somehow, but like, but that moment of going in there with pure, like, um, what's like virgin eyes, I don't know, yeah, or like just yeah. kind of like a pure, like, you were just curious, curious. yeah, you're just curious, more of, a cur- more of a curiosity, and in a way, it was like a no brainer that, yeah, I was going to go to that event. Cause what else, what else do I have planned? I have literally nothing, <laughs> nothing planned other than my plan at that moment was, okay, I'm in a big city. Where do I sleep? Cause that was the hardest thing on my trip was once you're in a city, it becomes really hard to find camping spots. Right. Like it's, it becomes difficult. You have to like, you, you become, like unwanted at wherever you're going to sleep, you're not really wanted by anybody to be sleeping there. Right. Once when you're in a city. And so, um, the challenge of the day was, okay, I have tomorrow set. This is going to be fun to go over to this place. And really when I was in that first store, it was just more of a conversation. I didn't look at the clothes and be like, Oh, rad designs and clothes. It was not about that. It was more of just like, oh, they, those were some rad people. That was cool. I'm going, now I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I better go figure out what I'm going to do for, for the night. And, right. uh, and, and so. So what, how do you end up working for them? Going from, I don't know what this place is. I'm going to go in here. I'm not even looking at the clothes. I'm just excited about this show don't know where to sleep that's okay i got something going on to wow i work for these guys now i'm going to go help in california with this brand like how what's what's that is there what's that conversation how does that transpire so it all has to do with like um purely i would have to say to um 
meet people that it, it has to do with the people that you meet really right mm-hmm. like like on that on that day before the event which would have been probably a friday or a saturday and the event was the next day on a maybe a sunday or a saturday and then at the big event i met like i met um a kid named stefan a kid named like all all the people who worked there i ended up kind of meeting and i was kind of like this naive like traveler who had showed up on their doorstep almost like a caricature of myself i had my my hair was grown out i had a big ass mustache that had grown this like past the sides of my face just from being in the wild and in a way i i showed up today as kind of as this um a care like and i look back to how silly it must have looked right <laughs> yeah it's, it looks silly but you have to keep in mind that people a lot of people portend to live a lifestyle or you know they have this facade that they wear that they do this or that and they can buy i mean you could go on instagram now and you can find an account that shows a lifestyle or a way of living and you can emulate that just based sure. on the style and how you look and, and, and everything else. There's the blueprints for almost anything out there. If you want to be Steve McQueen, you can be Steve McQueen tomorrow. You can buy everything you need. You can learn yeah. how to walk, talk, buy everything. And when you pulled up in that town and you were this dude who came from America, who bought this bike for $900, who's got the long hair and the mustache, and he you know slept on a picnic bench last night, and all he really wants to do is have a, a good experience exploring before he gets old and dies. <laughs> These dudes were probably like, holy shit, this is what we want our brand to be incarnate. And I know you're a humble person, but that's probably what a lot of these guys were thinking was, holy shit, look at this guy. He is awesome, right? I mean, that's kind of what was going through their mind, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, you're, pro- you're probably right about that. But when I look back to that, I kind of am like, what a, like, it, I <laughs> be honest with you i kind of am like what did, what was i thinking right <laughs> or in a way and here's what sometimes traveling by yourself in those environments where you're just kind of like meeting people along the way but you're kind of you kind of end up building your own reality and and it kind of gets out of hand a little bit and i, I don't know how to really describe it but you almost it almost has this snowball effect and you really kind of start to understand how people can become kind of crazy. Cause you know, you know what I, you know, when you just kind of meet somebody for the first time, they kind of seem a little, a little cuckoo. Yeah. I was totally, I was kind of the cuckoo <laughs> woo woo. Like, like, is this guy, does this guy have any connection to reality? Cause I remember at, in the, at that point, it was kind of like, man, I don't know if I'll like, I was, at that point kind of thinking to myself oh no i've really messed myself up for life i don't know if i'll ever be able to connect to normal normal society ever again because you're so in like you've kind of built or like the environment ends up shaping a whole new reality which you start to kind of like I don't know. I can't really. No, I know exactly what you mean. You've explained it just fine. I think a lot of people go down that road and never come back. Right, right. But then, okay, so then I met these people, and and this was a time of Facebook where, okay, back, I 
logged, went to a library, logged into Facebook, looked up Deus, started following Deus. You kind of do some research on some photos on Facebook, and then you realize, oh yeah, that was, I remember that guy. So I'm gonna follow. You, you kind of know all their names. You kind of follow them, right, mm -hmm. on Facebook. This was like the early days of. This was this was 2009, right? So navigating social media a little easier. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So you're like connect, now you're connected. You kind of know you kind of know these people. You kind of you know you hung out with them for an hour. So now you're best. You know your you're, best friends. Your friends. Your yeah. friends. Your friends on Facebook for life. <laughs> but then, um, long story short, some of those people that I had met in Australia, I two years later saw that they were in Los Angeles and from a Facebook post of them being in Los Angeles. And at this moment in time, I was in Minneapolis working. And when I saw that those old friends that I'd met in Australia were in Los Angeles and I quick messaged them saying, what are you doing in America? Hoping that they were building a dais in America. Right. That, right. Like, I kind of was like suspecting, oh, are, are they bringing this thing to America? And then a message saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're building a shop in Venice. And the next day I quit my job. Wait a second. In did, Minneapolis. Did you, with no, it's not like they'd promised you a job or anything. No. What do you, no, what were you thinking? More of like, I was thinking I'm going to go and hang out with these guys. Cause in Australia, they basically um, fed me uh, like an Aussie burger, like the on the barbecue. <laughs> what they were serving me at the event that I went to in Australia, they didn't make me pay for it, and I was and I held on to that, and I was like, you know what? I want to go hang out with these guys in California. If there's any work that they need me to help out with it would be pretty rad to help so i basically that was the plan it was like i'm gonna go how long had you been in minneapolis at that time um like a couple years there, or something maybe a year and a half okay so you're in minneapolis yeah. for a year and a half i mean that's long enough to make some friends have an apartment have a few things have a job and you just said yeah fuck it Bye, everybody. I said, I said, I said bye. Yeah, exactly. Wow, was that hard? Or... Well, the job that seems hard. Did, well, the hard part was in the, my Minneapolis situation was the job that I ended up finding there in Minneapolis was starting to. Uh, I knew it wasn't my forever job. It so was you had to foot like, out the door anyway. It was like my first entry level design job that had to do with industrial like product design i really enjoyed it was like the perfect combination when i came out of when i came out of graphic design school and right at my senior year i my senior year i regretted taking graphic design i should have done industrial design like like product design you know like and i had those feelings that i really wanted to actually probably do a little bit more product design in life than graphic design. Right. And so this first job out the door in Minneapolis was kind of like this product design company that kind of made paper products 
but kind of did a lot of graphic design and it kind of merged the two. So I was making like prototype items. Like basically I was kind of making mock-ups of prototypes of paper products. It was kind of, I won't go into details on the type of company it was, but it was kind of like. You yawned uh, even a little bit when you were just explaining. <laughs> I mean, it was like a, it was like a Martha Stewart meets like um, trapper keeper. So were you just like suffocating? You know, I'm just imagining the guy that with the hair and the mustache and the Aussie burger and the bike oh. and the. Well, okay. At work, I was suffocating, but Minneapolis, I have to say Minneapolis provides such a great, uh, like, I really enjoyed Minneapolis. My roommates were really f fun guys that um, I got along great with. I had my, I had a fixed gear bike that I went down on the greenway. Uh, yeah. Minneapolis is great. It is a great place. To, like, and I, uh, I really enjoyed the music scene, the art scene, like the, like, yeah, the music, like the, like the seventh street entry yeah, yeah. and first Ave, and like kind of discovering new music. But again, cold, like, like Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 Cold. Cold. Oh, <laughs> have you heard of the Stuper Bowl? Like that bicycle, like that bicycle. Yes. Like, like the bicycle rally they yeah. do in the dead of winter. Yeah, I'm from Minneapolis. Don't forget, it's it's. Oh yeah. my goodness! It's oh my goodness! Awful. <laughs> oh, it, that that was so that was so fun. I got like you go from bar to bar drinking beer, but then riding in on ice. I crashed so many times. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, we're man. all full of great ideas up here to keep ourselves busy in the wintertime. Anyhow, exactly. So, I di I digress. Well, I forget what we were talking about. Oh, no, you, you left Minneapolis for California I, I on a whim. On a whim. And a on hope. a whim. And a hope. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But but I what I did know at this point was that, and I had the and and maybe it was like in that innate feeling that like my Australia trip led to things that were gonna end up coming back around for me. I kind of knew that I kind of felt like my path in Minneapolis right after Australia was more because I had re really great roommates to go back to Minneapolis to. And I knew I needed to kind of integrate into society with people that I knew I could hang out with. And I did at that point, it didn't really matter what job I had. It was more of like, I needed enough money to pay rent, but really it was more of like an integration back into like the real world. And I needed some support. It's like when someone's <laughs> starving to death, you have to just feed them a little bit at a time. If you give them too much, they, they can't handle it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, <laughs> too much society like wouldn't have been good for you. Right. I needed like, yeah, Minneapolis was like the halfway house between, yeah. between like, like my bum life and, uh, no. Um, okay. So basically my thought was if, okay, if they're building a store and a motorcycle shop and they're in the process of building it, if I go there and meet them and, and just like, hang out with them with the intent purely just to hang out and maybe ride motorcycles with them. If I observe the situation and if I see work to be done, 
that I can maybe help with and contribute to. It's kind of like, you know, you know, that attitude that like, um, instead of just waiting for somebody to ask you to do a job, if you kind of like have the mindset of, Hey, we're going to get this, we're going to get this job done and you pick up the hammer and, and start pounding something or like pick up a shovel to start digging something Yep. that if you put yourself, if you make yourself useful, <laughs> then, then there, there might be a job. <laughs> right. Yeah. In a way it was like that sort of, and maybe I learned that attitude from growing up on the farm. I've never really thought of it, but maybe that characteristic of like, there's always work to do. Mm-hmm. Like there's always work to do, but like, some people ask to be hired <laughs> before they start working. Well, that's and how the majority I, of things work. You like apply normally, for the job on a piece of paper. Normally, yeah, normally you get invited to work. And my thought was maybe, maybe I just kind of like show up and start working and then they maybe won't figure out how to get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> Make yourself if useful I, enough that you become uh, indispensable. So here, okay, so so here's how it. Let me just say that's a very common thread with really successful people. What you're that just and and just or people and I don't mean successful financially. I just mean people that are happy, people that like their life. They're doing something that they enjoy doing. I don't just mean like they own a company now. It's that's not what I'm getting at. It's just people that are are happy, happy and good at their job and, and enjoy it and stuff like that. It's a very common theme, I think, is people that are that are headstrong, that, you know, push forward maybe, on their own. Or, or, or maybe it's a fortitude to be able to see the end goal and realize, oh, you know what? Yeah, this could help reach. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but like. Anyway, you, so, you, so, almost, so you, you, how did it go? Did it, it obviously vision. worked. Yeah, you see someone else's vision. And then you're like, yeah, I get that vision. Oh, maybe I could do this to help get to the destination that they want to go to. And then kind of like approach it that way. And then, and of course, and of course here, and I was living in my van in the parking lot. So my first job for Deus was actually kind of like parking lot security. Cause I was living, <laughs> I was living in a Dodge a 100 van. Um, and 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 rolling and rolling out of the van and parking it on the side street or wherever I could find a place to park in Venice, and then uh, helping like jackhammer the jackhammer and plant flowers and and uh, do do whatever you know do, do whatever do, yeah do like manual labor. But then okay, so then Deus was about to open, and they didn't know exactly what what I okay this dude shows up and he's and he's helping build what what sort of job do we give him they offered me a job in the retail store and i took it um this was before it opened and i said oh yeah what whatever to whatever it needs whatever i need to do to be a part of like this thing right you were really you really felt affinity with deus yeah it kind of like it kind of like Res- yeah it resonated like the ethos of the like motorcycles and the fun i didn't i'm not a surfer but 
like I, but I appreciate surf. I don't, I don't know if I like surfers personally. Like, <laughs> I think they're kind of, I think they're kind of, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to say what I think about surfers, like as a group, but I didn't hate the idea of surfing. Right. right. I, I, I thought, oh yeah, surfing's cool. Surfing's rad for those who surf, if they're nice. Um, and uh, so the whole, the whole company that and how it was run was kind of had an attitude of fun that kind of seemed like a little bit bucking the typical core. It didn't feel corporate, like corporate sellout style. So they offered me this job in retail and I said, yes, but okay. When I left Minneapolis, one thing about my job in Minneapolis was, okay. So I was designing paper products during the week but then on the weekends i would work the retail store like on saturday like thursday and saturday maybe a couple like my job was kind of weird where i worked retail because it was a studio half studio half retail and i worked retail on like on weekends there so so you had some experience with the retail shop at when you went into dais it wasn't just a complete mystery right so when I but when I left Minneapolis, I I told myself, okay, I'm not gonna work retail anymore. This <laughs> isn't me, right? This was like what I told myself when I left Minneapolis. I was like, okay, ah, got that behind me. I, that was good experience. I'm I'm done with retail and sales and all that stuff. Um, but Deus offered me this sales job, so. And I took, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to take it. You didn't feel like you were going backwards a little bit. Well, here's what, okay. So here's what, I'll, I'll, I'll be real with you. So, um, the opening, like, so we got Deus ready to open and it's this, like the opening party, um, of the completed Deus is hap is happening. And, um, I'm in Venice. I've been living in a van <laughs> on the streets, right? And I have a fun night. Uh, okay, I don't know if you you might have to cut this part out, but like okay. I did, like I did some for the first time. Okay, and and it was like it was not a, it was not good. I woke like like the morning after. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing here? Like I had one of those crisis moments and I think maybe like, you know, th these things happen when you do naughty things, but. Right. Was it like a, like an, like a personal inflection point? Like, you know, like, whoa, 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 hold on. Yeah, it's like this escalated way too quickly. I was like, like you okay, opened I'll... a door and you didn't like what you saw on the other side and you didn't want to continue down that hallway. Right. And I was real like, and it was very introspective of like, okay, whoa, California is um farm boys farm boy moves to california and and flies off the rails and i saw like oh man this this is like a dream company um i'm in the door they want me a part of the team and and now ooh th this could this could get this could not be good for me right, right. like i had like i had this like i had this feeling like oh shoot this is not, this is not going to be, um, in the long run, 
may be a good choice. Okay, so here's what I did. I said, and maybe and, and maybe I was like in I don't know what they call it, like like a state of post, like with it's not like my trip was it was like an it was a night and a few I don't know. Basically, I had a little like come to Jesus moment with myself and uh and Jesus and and was like, okay, I'm not gonna take I'm not gonna take this job. I'm leaving. So I so I so I left Deus. And I didn't take the job before Deus actually opened. I quit my retail job. That must Never. have just been terrifying, based on I had I had I had already got like I already saw my schedule, and I was going to be working weekends. And I was like, "Ooh, dang it!" I, I used to work weekends in Minneapolis, and I didn't like working weekends. And now I'm back on the weekend train, and like on someone else's like yeah retail hours suck yeah and so what i did was left california i went i um man this this is a long story but basically my younger brother was in panama and he had just graduated so he had just graduated college um and he was in panama and he was going to travel through Central America. And we had kind of toyed with the idea of traveling together, you know? And I, and I was like, I told him, oh, man, it'd be fun to join you. But I kind of knew that he needed to be on maybe his little, his, his own journey too, you know? Kind of like, like I went to Australia. Now, sure. he had graduated and he was just kind of backpacking through Central America. And he was taking buses. And I kind of told him, you need to you need to do your trip in a way that's going to be memorable for yourself. <laughs> and and but he was still just taking buses and kind of backpacking and going to hostels. And I was like, no, 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 no. OK, so I when I quit California, I I flew straight to Panama. And when I met up with my younger brother, we bought beach cruisers, bicycles for 20 bucks, like, like a single speed beach cruiser with the curvy handlebars and springy seat. Yeah. We went to like the city <laughs> center of, uh, of, of the city in Panama. And we're like, okay, let's, let's buy, let's buy bicycles in this city center. There's a lot of people here. I'm sure some people will take money from us and we'll buy their bike. Let's just spot a bike. Let's buy it from them. So we both bought beach cruisers like coaster break style just like that doesn't just, seem like the ideal bike <laughs> for 20 bucks so we both found bikes 20 bucks for pretty 20 good bucks. though so for 20 bucks we bought bikes and and <laughs> and basically we i spent with my younger brother the next six months bicycling from panama up to belize on on like through costa rica like what was it costa rica guatemala um, Honduras. Do you think that you were running from the mistake that you made by going out to not necessarily mistake, but maybe it was perceived as a mistake and getting caught up in the retail again. Were you running away from that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it was kind of like, Oh man. I, yeah, I had kind of, basically I'd kind of like 
felt like I had dodged maybe a bullet, but also it was still kind of burning. Like, oh man, that might have been that. I was still kind of wondering if it was a good move to not take the sales job, right? Like everybody tells you you can join a company and start and build build up within a corporation. Yeah, right? sell the that's Xerox like, machines, man. That's what every that's okay. So. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a running away from a situation. It might have been running away from another situation um, where I was kind of maybe heartbroken. Um, Don't need to really go into that. But basically, I was kind of a. um, We'll just say kind of a train wreck in Central (laughs) Central America. And I was just pedaling away my like I was just sweating away all the uh luggage yeah it's just like being in one of the tents with the native americans you just sweat it out sweat out the poison (laughs) you sweat it out like the a sweat lodge um i do think that travel and exploration and doing things like the overcrest rally or any of that stuff is a form of meditation when you're driving especially if you're alone it is a true form of meditation and it can would, definitely defrag and, and help you with those poisons. For sure. For sure. I definitely think exploration and kind of like the vulnerability of situations that is kind of, I think that like putting yourself in a new, like something brand new is cathartic to, to any, like to a multitude of, um, ailments whether it's ailments of the heart or uh or like or just like confusion of career paths for sure i think that human beings are you know i i hate to compare us to computers because computers aren't obviously they don't have the ability to reason yet you know so we're but i think that there's the human mind in a way needs resets every once in a while it needs shocks and you go through your day-to-day doing the same thing over and over and over again and, you know, for better or for worse, obviously we live the majority of our life in, in, uh, in doing the same things a lot. So we do need to find reasons to appreciate being with our kids in the morning, you know, being with our wives, being with our families, being with our friends and, and doing mundane things. The your majority of your life is going to be mundane things and that's okay. But I think that we need the shock of that new that you're talking about, that new experience, that shock needs to happen to kind of give you a second to defrag a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. It kind of like shakes you. Yeah. Kind of like makes you realize, uh, like reminds you that. Yeah. That other stuff is like necessary, but like it shakes you and, and it actually gives back meaning, like gives, gives you meaning to the other stuff that is sometimes easy to start to get resentful of. Right. You know, um, sort of this work for you, this, this, this bike trip, did it give you what you needed? So here's what it did. It was kind of like a good stepping point to, um, get out of my own head a little bit. It led to, uh, it led to my younger brother and I starting a business together. Cause when we were down there, we got, there's this thing called woofing. I don't know what woofing stands for, but it's basically like you can like work and live 
mm. at different locations for you can kind of like live for free but you're kind of like working on a farm and kind of learning stuff i don't know if it still exists but woofing so we woofed at this place in costa rica where one of our tasks for accommodation was to build this chicken coop out of rebar and so we used rebar and these like very primitive like bending tools to bend this rebar and like build this chicken coop and we were like this is actually really awesome like working with this material is kind of like pretty cool so when we came back to america we started this company that basically we we made rebar hangers like like imagine like you have a really heavy jacket and you want to put you want to hang it up in a closet we made the hanger made out of rebar and we like treated it so it wouldn't rust like um and put like a little copper cap on the end so it wouldn't like rip clothes but it was very durable but so we basically started this business of making these things so in a way the we started like it led to something and for us to do something together we weren't sure what it was or what was it was going to become or whatever but it, like it led to that right so we started doing that when we got back and when we got back i'll just kind of like fast forward so when we got back and i had taken some photos of the trip and i'd taken some photos when i was back at dais from the initial time when i was in the van and basically by that time dais had been now open for a few months like six months and when i got back they had basically kind of grown to the point where they had a lot of photos from their events that they did at the shop there but not enough manpower to like turn them into blog posts and right. like shoot videos so basically i got an email from dais saying hey do you want to come back and work in our art department and basically help us like digest content, take photos, write blog posts, um, shoot videos, um, do web banners, like basic, like basic web work type things to um, help the brand. So long story short, I went back to Deus with a newfound like set of rules for myself not to go off the rails and, and make it sustainable right right so in a way like travel so if you think about travel for me the travel even in australia which was kind of like a way where people were like oh you're just kind of buzzing off and running from something but like it led to me meeting it led to opportunities and people that you meet along the way and ideas that turn into what you're going to do for work right and it kind of like even the trip bicycling through central america with my brother which kind of led to that brand or kind of like that company starting like he ended up doing that and we sold the brand a couple years later but like it kind of like opens up you're, if you let travel change you and like give you new perspectives, you can kind of like use it to your advantage as opposed to a vacation where you go on vacation 
and then you come back to your whatever like you pick up where you left off right right whereas like when you just like i don't know it's like when you when you let it like let the experiences in you can kind of like be changed yeah kind of use it as like a leave yourself open to the osmosis of the experience rather than yeah rather than just being like oh well i went here and it's it's, that just makes you realize that you have to put yourself in a place that will allow that to happen because there's lots of places you can go that won't change you you know you're not going to go to an all-inclusive resort in copacabana and have a life-changing experience there's no hardship there's no contrast there's nothing waiting for you there right and i think it does come like you said about the it's almost the um approach to it mm-hmm. that comes with the hardships of it like the the, the lack of inc- all-inclusiveness right figuring stuff out you have to figure new stuff out when you're traveling right or like even road trips and rallies you have to figure new things out as you go and then all of a sudden you realize maybe you have another tool in your toolkit most undoubtedly you do you know, it's and like re- it's like adding another book to your bookshelf at home. It's this right. whole wealth of knowledge of everything you've read, it, but it's in your head with experiences. Exactly. So you ended up back at Deus, and how do you go from, hey, you know, let's do pictures with our blog to the art director? That's a huge leap. Well, I think it was. Did you just all of a sudden start leveraging your education, like? How did that? Wow, what? How did it? How did it work? To be honest with you, it was kind of like it was the it was kind of learning the ways, the ropes, and and helping in like the content creation capacity. And I was working with a guy named Stefan, Stefan Wigan, and he was kind of like the brand director, and I was kind of like his sidekick. Um that would that would that kind of would help like help make it happen or like not make it happen like he would connect like he would plan events and i would help um make the flyers and then we'd get artwork from australia so i was like initially when i started i wasn't doing like illustration work or real real design work necessarily it was more of like just getting content out the door at the rate that could be like um that could flow you know i don't know how to really describe this but like after two years of that then and stefan moved on and left deus which left me almost responsible for now event curation and hosting events at deus and then we had a copywriter who was like a genius at kind of like writing the flamboyant, like really fun blog post. He ended up leaving. And then all of a sudden I, I was kind of left in and, in, and maybe instead of like, Oh, now we need a copywriter in house. It was more of like, well, ne- Nevin, can you just get this blog post out? I guess I'm writing me? copy now. <laughs> and then it was like, wait a second. Now I get to write some copy, which ended up, like being super fun super and fun to actually like to write um little quips about the like just for like for the blog and stuff and like it ended up 
how I ended up where I did was actually from like just kind of sticking with it, but like absorbing maybe other people who were bet that I learned from and maybe were a lot better at whatever they were doing than me. But then I would kind of have to kind of like step up to the plate just to keep things going. How much do you think it had to do with your initial experience meeting those guys in Australia? Mm. Do you think there's, I, there? did you plant seeds there or was it really just the, you know, obviously no, so you well, met them in Australia, you went and you, and you basically hammered nails with them building a shop and then you didn't want to work the retail. So you quit, which probably, I imagine they respected that. You know, I imagine they respected you standing up for yourself and then going down and doing what you did. You know, I, I imagine that would, I would respect you for that. You know, if, if I had a business and you're like, you, you know, I just can't, I just can't compromise myself that way. And so I, I would have respect for that. So do you think all of those things kind of coalesced and, you know, they just had this good feeling about you? Mm. Cause it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's typical and atypical at the same time, because you really kind of just over time gave a lot of yourself to the brand and the, and the ethos that they have. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how exactly to answer your question. Chris, it's more of a hypothetical. I don't know that it has an but, answer. It's just more of an observation, but I would have to say that what I've learned is like, okay, saying no can end up making you like, if you stay true to yourself and say no, when it feels right to say no, it doesn't mean the whole door is closed. Like I learned in a way that sometimes sticking to your guns is, is better. Like going against typical, like, like typical career advice. Mm -hmm. Some like, like if you're feeling a no needs to happen and standing up for a no, it doesn't, it almost, like you said, it kind of like can pay off and almost bring you back like it could shut the like yeah in some cases it's going to be like okay that that door's never going to open and i think a lot of people it's called playing hard to get i've experienced that in a few relationships but i have fears too that if you (laughs) if you say if if there's a no if you say no and the door closed if you shut a door on an opportunity you don't know if it's going to open again right like but but maybe maybe when if it does if and when it does and it's a better and there's a better fit down like i don't know i don't know if this podcast is about career is careers about everything man it's it's no big deal okay okay good but like i would have to say like i've learned a few things that in a way that like sticking yourself in um harm's way to get what i'm what i mean by that is like i didn't meet deus in australia thinking oh this is good i want to work for these guys and then when when they did come to america and i first hit them up it wasn't like i knew what it was gonna be but i knew i i, I knew it'd be cool to hang out with them and i kind of wanted to work and help i don't know you know i, I didn't want to work but then I got this job at Deus, and to be honest with you, like, yeah, I landed a dream job, and it was my dream job. And then there, like, there's a, it's a whole nother podcast of how <laughs> to leave your dream job. 
Yes. Well, you ended up doing a lot of other things. I mean, you ended up working with Luft and, and Porsche, and now you're with our great friend, Matt Crook. Um, but before we're, we're, we're long, which is fine. We've, it's, it's cool. I want to talk about meeting you on the Overcrest Rally a little bit. Yeah, let's come, let's come back around to the Overcrest Rally. I was hoping that, I, I was hoping that the Overcrest Rally would be maybe the only thing that we talked about on this. Uh, well, talk. why, well, let me ask you why, why do you, why is that? Well, I kind of feel like the Overcrest Rally was kind of like this new experience, kind of like that same feeling that I had when I first went to Australia and started hitting the road. Because before Overcrest Rally 2021 in Utah, before Mexican Hat, um, I had never driven with other other people in cars right i don't i'd only really got my 912 running and just kind of like used it for solo runs up the canyon and around around neighborhood and kind of like weekend or like i'd used it to daily drive when i was at dais like i'd use it to commute but so did Matt like con you into coming? It was like, yeah, you should come to this thing. Were you skeptical? Or what was it? What was your feeling before you went? My my feeling before I went was so when Matt said, "Okay, this Overcrest Rally is happening, um, coming up here. Um, do you want to go?" And it was like, "Well, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, it sounds fun." And then, and then it was like, no, no, really, we could, we're going to take our, <laughs> we're, we're going to drive our cars, uh, and do, and in, in through Utah and, and my, um, initial thought process was, well, my car is not going to make it, but yeah, well, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> my car's not, my, my, my car can't do it, but. But we, but we can, we can make, we can sure as hell go for it. And it, it did make it, but absolute well, barely, like absolutely barely made it. So what, what part of you was okay with going, even though you knew some people won't even go because they, they fear they might not make it. You're going knowing that you're not going to make it. <laughs> no, I knew, I knew it was not going to make it. So, so. <laughs> And what's funny is um, Matt was like, let's get, let's prep our cars and get all ready for this thing and send our cars to a buddy who knows his way around, um, knows his way around, like diagnosed, like doing a shakedown. And, and I was like, no, do you know what? That's just gonna, doing that, taking it to somebody to get ready for a rally is going to open up a Pandora's box of, don't do possible, this. Yeah. Possible like doubts that I should even go. That's like going to the doctor before you go on a trip when you're, when you're just, your car is old. So I'm not saying you're old, but if you're like 80 and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go on this trip to Belize, going to the doctor first is like, yeah, your knees are bad. You know, you've got some arthrosclerosis yeah. in your spine. You shouldn't do this. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The professional recommendation <laughs> is not a good idea. Do nope. not do this. Do not 
do not proceed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, no, but I, what I did know was, well, here's the thing. And I, and I learned this when I, bringing full circle, I learned this in Australia when I had bike troubles and I was tempted to buy another motorcycle. And I had the advice given to me that it's a better a devil you know than a devil you don't. So yep, don't, sure. go, don't go buying a new used motorcycle to continue on your trip because you already have learned a lot of things about your current vehicle that are valuable. Like, you know, in, in a way, that same approach to going on this rally is like, okay, I, I had um, lots of experience. I, I, I got this 912 in 2016 and the engine was seized and I unseized it with Marvel mystery oil and <laughs> changed the gas out of the tank, put a new, put a new uh, battery in it, made sure the brakes were working, changed like, you know, made sure it stopped. But once I got it unseized and the engine rotating and fire and I fired it up, like I figured out that these engines are pretty simple mm -hmm. and even yeah, that engine, when I first got my car, I could, I should have totally could have taken the time and money to rebuild that engine, but just getting it running was kind of at that point, what I just needed to do to experience the dr the drive. Right. Yeah. And it felt good to get it running. Right. I mean, it always is great yeah. to get stuff you know, back from the dead. Yeah. And to me, like once you fire, once an engine fires up, you're like, if you can get it started, you're good to go. You're good to go. Yeah. You're 90% <laughs> of the way there for sure. Like you're like, you can go on a road, you can go on a road trip. I don't know if you saw in my, my stories, I bought this W126 Mercedes 300 SD and yeah. it's, oh yeah. oh yeah. And it's been sitting for 20 years, legitimately sitting for 20 years with, broken fuel lines that I tried putting some fuel in it and it just pours out of the bottom of the car. You, you, can't, you can't even put fuel in it. The, the radiator has got a giant hole in it. There's no brakes. And I'm like, I'm going to try and start this thing. I'm going to do it. And I put a battery in it and it started. That's the only thing I did is put a battery in that stupid thing. And now that it runs, I've got all kinds of wild and crazy ideas just because it runs. Once you get something yeah. running, it just seems like, the right thing to do is to drive it. It just seems like the yeah. right thing to do. Well, you need the motion. Okay. You need the, okay. You can, you can, you can fix things till your ears turn blue when you're on a lift, right? Mm -hmm. Cause there's all these things that look, the, the, things look in disrepair, but when you realize that you you can actually get this thing up to 60 miles an hour, wow all this stuff is eminently gonna break like <laughs> like like eminently gonna fail soon but it's gonna and you know as well and and maybe the philosophy is you know it's gonna break so just make sure when that thing that looks like it's ready to go goes have tools yep that that can that, that can pull it out maybe have the replacement part that um will go back in so basically in preparation for the overcrest rally really what i did was like i went through my list of basic 
things that I had experienced in my last like four years of owning the car that have occasionally needed um, replacing and uh, and upkeep and basically just kind of like got a couple spares of those things and instantly became a breakdown influencer. Well, <laughs> as you wrote in the email to me. <laughs> It was the best time I had on the rally, and usually everything I get, I've been doing events for 20 years, car shows, rallies, everything, and I get off on giving everybody the experience, right? Like, I go, my good time is usually going to scout the rally. I go alone, I go and I scout the rally, I experience it myself. In terms of the driving, that's where I get to drive because usually on the rally, I'm doing other things. I'm trying to make sure everything's great for everybody, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, for sure. The highlight of last year for me was the was that three hours that I got to drive around with you and the guys that you were with. You know, Matt. Wait, and- that, was, that was just three hours because even within that three hours, how many times did I actually break within the three hours? At least once every 20 minutes. I think he was at least once every 20 minutes. Granted, it was the last day of the rally, but it was at least once every 20 minutes. But I had more fun being with you and everyone else on that. Really, we were on this road that was like the straightest road ever. That road was, I don't know if you remember the one where we were hanging out for like half an hour. And it was the straightest road of all time. And not, I mean... I'm just trying to explain how straight the road is. And in in that area, it's weird that it's that straight. It's not Nevada, right? And we're all hanging out. You're working on your car. We're all just kind of chatting. I'm kind of taking some pictures. You're in there in your little, your overalls, your little tool bag. And you're like, you're frantic. You're working really hard and really fast. I remember just going over to you and being like, dude, nobody cares. This is it. This is, look how chill everybody is. You don't have to be hurry. You don't have to hurry. I do get, you know what I do get because I had never uh, done experience with people. I, I, on retrospect, I was a little bit anxious. The fact that I felt like I was slowing people down from getting to their, getting to the destination that, that maybe they were hoping to reach by a certain time. Sure. So that aspect was new to me and I probably was kind of like, okay. I it's the correct see. feeling to have because. Because I, I don't, because. If it's happening as frequent as it was, if I could fix my car quickly, you add up all those quick fixes, it's still too much. It's still it's still too much time. Here's what I'll have to say about it, though. In, in most rallies, that's probably going to be a problem. You know, people yeah. will get irritated. They'll be like, what is this guy doing? Why is this piece of shit car here? Whatever the case may be. But the Overcrest rally is such like a, the people that were there were the right people. Right. Oh, that, totally. I mean, it was the oh. right type of people that were there and the type of people that were there aren't the type of people that would care. You know, I understand that you were trying to hurry, but yeah. everybody was just honestly, it was it was great. Every time you broke down, I got to get out of the car and hang out with people. It was perfect. So <laughs> it worked out really, really good. <laughs> I remember you, you push started the thing and then you went to go turn around and you just never came back for like half an hour 20 minutes or whatever it was where did you go everybody when we were about ready to get in the car and go find you <laughs> and then there you were just kind of coming over the hill oh it was so good man it was so good no it was a that was a weird time because it was in the for some reason in that stint of the rally my car wasn't wanting to start as 
very, very good. Like it was like it wasn't wanting to get started, which it later by the end of the day, it ended up we discovered that it was actually the coil that was causing it to oh. kind of have problems not wanting to start. It was a coil problem, but at the in by that was that morning, which felt like a like that whole day felt <laughs> a lot of <laughs> different things happened that day, but it, that was the morning where I was like, why is this thing not wanting to start like it normally does? So once we pushed it, and I need, it was funny because I kind of needed it to be rolling quite far for it to really run on its own power, which is why I kept going. You know that video that you have? I think you make it a reel of it, but yeah, it's I like, why? Okay, Nevin, his car sounds like it's running. But he's still just plowing through the brush. Yeah, he just like <laughs> keeps driving off into the BLM management area. And, and in my own head, there was a clear explanation of, you know, the car wasn't ready to run on its own power. And I really just needed to keep momentum. So, okay. So then I got, and right before that little burnout area that we, that I had broke down in, like it was maybe half a mile back, there was a roundabout. And so I went back to that roundabout, mm-hmm. went around the roundabout. And basically when I was coming back, I wasn't going to stop, you know? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, you guys are with, I'm, I'm not slowing down or stopping. Cause if I get, if I go down even to idle, who knows what could happen. I, I just remember being on the, on the radios and everybody's like, where's Nevin? Nevin's gone. Like, Where'd what, he go? Like he just went, he just, did he just go home? <laughs> he just, <laughs> he just go home. Here's the thing, though, is that throughout all of this, and I've been on a lot of rallies where a lot of people broke down, they get really mad, right? They're, like, mad and frustrated and angry, and your attitude was was fantastic. It took – you took everything in stride as – here's the thing is it was as part of the adventure for you, I think. You know, it was just part of the experience that you were having. It wasn't getting in the way of the experience you wanted to have, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, true. It was it was great, and I I, I and hope just, I see and, you again at the next. And one. <laughs> despite and despite the okay, despite the photos of the result, which the photos only show the car broken down mm-hmm. like everywhere, but <laughs> it was running like I'm like I made it the route, and there was some beautiful driving that was had. It yeah. wasn't <laughs> between well, it was the like two thousand miles it was, overall. It was so. It was very fantastic, and I, I need to I need to just like, and you said it perfectly that it was the people that we did it with that were okay with that happen. Like, because here's the thing: if I go on another over when when I go on the next Overcrest rally in Idaho, I do not want to be the breakdown influencer. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to break down so frequently. Sure, of course, you know, you know, like. I, I don't want to. That's not the objective. It's not the objective here. Right. Right. But it shouldn't stop you. Right. Like it shouldn't. Like in a way, when like even when Matt said, "Should we go on this thing?" and I said, "Can't can't make it home." But yeah, let's 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 depart. <laughs> and in a way, and I can't. And I don't know. I I learned that. Like I do a little bit of motorcycle racing, and for me, the braking and the fixing and getting to the starting line to to like sign up for a race 
like if I sign up for a race, it means I have a running motorcycle, which basically will get me to the starting line and a few laps into the race. And there's times, there's times where I go three whole races with no problems. And it's fucking fantastic that I haven't break broken the race bike, you know, but then like, Maybe on the fourth race, I, I like the, the piston sticks and I have to rebuild the engine or like the, the rod, the big, the rod breaks or. Well, it's like, like it's like, and then it's like, okay, well, time to fix it again. And then uh, try to get to the starting line. People think of it as a series of small events. Each race is its own event. Each rally is its own event, but it's really more like a one line that's drawn between all of them, right? So it's not just, well, I had a really bad time at this or I had a really great time at this. It's it's you're drawing a line between all these different events as almost like one giant experience that you're having because it wouldn't oh, have broken yeah. down if you wouldn't have raced the three races because you wouldn't have put the wear and tear on it and, you wouldn't, have to, and yeah. you wouldn't have been able to do the other races unless it broke down and you fixed it again and it allowed you to be able to do that again. So it's not always just the one thing that you're doing or trying to do. You're trying to do the race, right? You want to go, you want to race the bike. That's the goal, yeah. right? The goal is to you, race you, the bike. But and not only that, you want, you want to win. Of course you want to, you want to go <laughs> race and you want to win. But, but what comes along with that is all the different myriads of colors and gradients yeah. and variants of life that are involved with getting there, doing it, fixing it. All of that is just as much part of the experience as kickstarting the bike and racing. It's all yeah. the same line drawn for me. Oh, yeah. For me. That's how I think of it. You know, like re- repairing this Mercedes that I've been working on to go on the rally. For me, it's, I bought this Mercedes. It is a piece of shit. I'm going to try and fix it so I'm not a, a, a breakdown influencer because I can't be because it's, it's my rally. So I got to <laughs> get this thing going. And I got to go out and I got to scout in it. And, and, and yeah. like this whole line that's drawn isn't just, Hey, I'm going to do this rally and have this car there. You know, it's this huge story to tell. And it's a story with yourself. And the greatest thing about, you know, cars is this, it's, it's a great tool to be able to do this with, but I can't think of many other things, motorcycles too, of course, um, that you can put the kind of time, effort, talent, blood, sweat, tears, learning, failure, success, and have it be for something that is really small, which is like the rally, for example, compared to everything else that you've done to get there is, is huge. And the, and the yeah. rally is just the, the two days, but it's, it's everything else. It's, it's all just so important. The getting there, the prepare, preparation. Uh, it's, yeah. And, and the last year of like preparing for the next rally for me and everybody else is like building cars and preparing and talking about it and telling the stories from the last one. And it's this ecosystem that's, I don't know. I'm getting carried away. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, this is, no, this is the good stuff though. Cause th- no, you're totally right about it. Like in a way the start, like for me, the success of the rally was um, in, in terms of like, the, like my car and the situation being at the starting line in monument Valley my car made it from California all the way to Mexican hat. Yep. And like, 
you know what? It's kind of like, okay, I, I would have died happy <laughs> that morning, right? Right. Like if if I would have broke down in the first five minutes and ended up on a trailer, the fact that my, in a way, you don't know what's going to happen. You try to prepare as much as you can, but like, yeah, I could have ended earlier. Like catastrophic. I'm talking about like catastrophically, ended, right? But like, I was able to limp all the way through the rally and to the end and and we got there to the film festival late but because of me but like still kind of made it to the end i didn't make it all the way home on my own power but that's that, that was farther than i thought i would make it but like even getting to that to mexican hat and then meet like meeting everybody or even like the adventure with meeting like michael gideon and andrew who he was riding with and like driving with matt crook and his uh mark ii golf getting to getting to the rally oh my goodness that was a new that was that was so fun right brand new that was brand new to me too and and i don't mean to say that and i'm I'm talking about this brand new feeling where i don't have any expectations of what coming to up to idaho is gonna feel like but like now I have a little bit more experience it's in rallying from the from number from the number one. So in a way, I need to prepare differently right. <laughs> for uh, for overcrest number two. I, basically what I'm saying is like there's something special about the first time, right? Oh yeah and and of of an experience and like I don't know. Well, I can tell I you that the pressure on me for everybody's experiences here and, and Jake and Jeff, we're, we feel it, you know, we want it to be special uh, yeah. for everybody every year. So we're working our butts off on it. And, yeah. And you set the bar for yourselves in a, in a, um, it like you really outdid yourself <laughs> in Utah, but don't, no, you know what I have to say, I have to commend you. Idaho is is amazing i've spent a little time in idaho i don't have like i don't know the ins and outs but i want to tell you about one place that okay. i've been to and it's called lake pondere and lake i don't pondere i don't know if it's going to be on the rally it doesn't matter if it is or isn't but it's an example of the coolness of idaho um because i went to spoke like it's it's kind of in that top handle like the like the tippy top close to canada sure but Lake Ponderé and the the time that I was there was unique because it was like a very misty morning and like like looked like it felt kind of rainy and overcast but Lake Ponderé is a super deep lake just north of um Coeur d'Alene and what's cool it has some cool history because the the military used to like test submarines in this lake because it's so deep like I, I don't i don't know the facts but i remember like it's super deep deep water and, scares the hell out of me man and um it, it's kind of there's like a really cool like uh train system that goes really close to the water but and some cliffs and mountain goats would fall into the water and basically sink down but like stay underwater in lake ponderay at a certain ele like at a certain depth because it was so deep 
where it would like preserve them Weird. for centuries because it's kind of like I don't I don't I don't did understand they, how did it they happened, find any bodies like, down there of people that got I mean, I'm sure there's weird shit down there, but be, from just like the testing and the military side, but it's like if a goat falls into it, it'll sink, but then hover at a certain like depth where it just kind of like gets preserved because it's so cold down there. Well, this just solidifies my fear of deep water. So I appreciate okay. that. So, so in a way, <laughs> we, I'm just saying what I recommend is that perhaps there's perhaps it's a really great road. That would be amazing. Let's don't don't drive your car over the edge and end up in Lake Pondere. <laughs> but if you did, you would like you'd be, be preserved. preserved. Yeah. You'd preserve for for generations. In like would... in like a thousand years, you'll be like the the guy that they discovered <laughs> frozen in ice next to a mammoth. Exactly. A guy is here. We have a perfectly preserved Nevin with his with his nine twelve who made it all <laughs> oh. the way here from California. No, I don't. No, I don't want to go off the road. But um, and I hope and I hope the research that I did when we were there, we kind of like, you know how when you're in a place and you're like, what is this place? And then you kind of start looking into it and it's it ends up opening up. I do that all like the time. A, yeah, like a, like a really interesting backstory. Anyhow, like if you look at the map that we made for the rally last year in Utah, I put all down all kinds of cool places that I did that with where I just, you know, yeah. the, the amount of time we put into like the landmarks and the places and go check this out. And I know some people checked the stuff out and some people didn't, but I yeah. mean, there was this, uh, this grove of trees on the, I can't remember what it was called, but it was on the map. And this grove of trees has been around for several thousand years. And the whole forest is one organism. Oh. And it's root structure goes back thousands of years, but it's all one tree, even though it looks like a forest. It's all one tree. I think it's like known as like the oldest living organism on earth. It's like some crazy thing where you can go up and be by these trees that are, you know, thousands of years old. Super interesting. That that's crazy. That actually you saying that makes me kind of want now that I now that I know that there's uncharted territory on the map, because I you know, you get to choose if you go one way or the yep. other. Yeah. I need to go back to Utah and go the other route, right? Well, we're going to go back to Utah at some point, maybe next year, the year after that, or the year after that, the uh, overcrossed elite. We'll, we'll visit it again. Because it's rad. Cause then you can choose like what you haven't, haven't seen yet, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that'd be rad. All right, Nevin, I'm going to let uh, you go, man. Chris, this has been too, I, I mean, I, I need to apologize. I went down the rabbit hole. No, I, I loved every minute of it. I think, uh, wow. You know, it's everybody has their own self perception, but my my perception of you is is it's very interesting what you've done and where you've decided to aim in your life and and the and the the path and the line that you've drawn for yourself is is unique and special. And I don't I don't expect everybody to be able to just say screw it, I'm not going to do this and go do that just because their heart tells them to because we have responsibilities. But I think that we should always have some sort of you know the feelers out there to be true to ourselves. And I think yours is a good story of that. Well, thank you, Chris. And like, like my story, in a way, now that you mentioned that, like, yeah, when I was younger, I was shooting from the hip <laughs> in, in like the lit like the most literal sense of the term. And it led me to <laughs> maybe a place that I did that, that maybe was founded upon like the wrong intent, but then, you know, it comes back around. It sure ends does. up, you, you, you sometimes try to straighten out. 
even even though you uh, make mistakes. <laughs> we all do. All right, man. I'll 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 talk to you soon. I'm going to be coming back out there at some point this summer to get my 911 if it ever gets done, and uh, okay. we'll be sure to hang out. Hey, if that doesn't happen, maybe I'll still try and find a way to come out. Okay, sounds good. You're always invited out to uh, Ojai and uh, hang out with Matt and I there, and uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you again. Dude. Whenever that whenever that happens. Thanks for spending so much time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Okay. Take uh, care, buddy. Say, say hello to Jake and the crew. Will do. All right. Thanks, Bye-bye. buddy. Bye-bye. Bye.